Woo. Good morning, Forward Point. How are we doing today? So good to be with you all. Super excited. Two weeks from today is Halloween, so definitely not typical time to get excited at church, but we believe that we were here to be an influence in our community, so we are excited for the opportunity to get involved and just love on Jesus. The future home of Love Handles is on 2500 James Street, which is also the corner of um, Forest Hill, and Forest Hill goes all out uh, on their street. There's literally probably hundreds, if not maybe thousands of kids that are going to be there, so we're excited for the opportunity to be at the end there and to just love on people with the characters and all the things that are going on there. I got to be honest with you, this week when I was working on my conversation here that we're going to have this morning, a lot of times what I love to do is at the beginning, I try to start off with some kind of story, usually within like the last week, something that's happened in my own life that kind of uh, is either funny or uh, exemplifies what we're talking about. And all this week, I really couldn't come up with one for today. And I'm Always believe in God, would you just give me something? And uh, we're getting up to yesterday, and I still don't have anything. And, and to kind of give you a preview of where we're going today, we're going to be talking about this idea of, you know, when you have a really big project, usually the best way to tackle it is to divide and conquer, right? You maybe get a lot of your friends, and you break it up into small pieces, and, and uh, you each tackle it. And together with the group of people, the more, you can get a lot more done, or you can get it done in a quicker amount of time. So here we are yesterday, and I still don't have a topic, a story to kind of launch my conversation with this morning until I get a phone call from Steve, and he says, Jimmy, can you go check the palace and see if any rain has gotten into the building? Anybody got a lot of rain at their house over the past couple of days? Yeah, anybody have any wet basements? Our basement gets a little bit wet when it's, you know, crazy monsoon time. So I get here, and uh, it almost sounds like I'm visiting Niagara Falls because we have, like, a steady stream of water pouring in in these different locations, and there's just a handful of us. And uh, I'm like, God, when, you, when I was praying for a story to be able to start off with this morning, uh, the, the project I was not planning on was having to dehumidify and dry out the Palace Theater. But uh, we're grateful that we're able to be here and uh, uh, what God is going to talk about today. I would encourage you to join us either on your phone. If you pull out your phone, you can open up the YouVersion app. Uh, it's made by Life Church, And you can follow along in the live events. It'll have all the notes and all the, the, the points from this morning. And uh, it's fun to, to follow along there. If you're here with us last week, we started this new series called Exponential. And we looked at the life of Abraham and Sarah, and we talked about this idea that, you know, it's very easy when you're eating an apple, you can count the seeds that are in an apple. But when you plant the seed, there's no way, it's impossible, in fact, to count the apples that are in each seed. It's impossible to do that. Because when you plant a single seed in faith, the things that God can do with it are beyond our capacity. And we looked about this, really this math thing that uh, we tend to think about addition, adding when God thinks about multiplication. Right before it can bear fruit in our lives though, underneath the surface, the seed has to take root before it can do anything. We think addition, God tends to think multiplication, but this morning we're gonna look at this idea that oftentimes he works through subtraction. You even think about the life of Abraham and Sarah as eventually they were given a son in Isaac. 
God said, you know what, Abraham, I love your faith. You've been so faithful over the years, believing I was going to give you a son. You finally have your son. Now here's what I want you to do. I want you to go and sacrifice your son. Right, the one thing that you've been waiting your entire life for, the one thing that's really the, the key to this, you're going to be a blessing to all the nations. Your descendants are going to be like the stars in the sky. What I want you to do is now I want you to go and sacrifice your son. It's easy for us to look back on that story and say, yeah, but God was going to at the last minute save the day and say, ha ha, just kidding, Abraham, you don't really have to do it. But think about being in that position where you've worked your entire life, you've, you've been faithful your entire life, Believing on this promise that God has for you, then God asks you to give it back to him, or he wants to subtract from your life. Today we're going to be looking about the life of Gideon, and Gideon is one of what uh, the Old Testament called judges, a series of judges that would come in to Israel, because Israel had this problem. Israel would believe and follow God, and they would get complacent in their ways, and then they would kind of go off and follow false gods and, and start to do their own thing, and God would kind of bring them into a wilderness experience. And we'd bring in different people like judges or, or prophets to come in and preach the word or, or to help deliver them from whence the, uh, the circumstances that they found themselves in as a result of their actions. So Israel was in another one of those seasons where they just were doing their own thing. The Bible says they did evil in the eyes of the Lord. So God used this group of people called the Midianites. And the Midianites began to subject the Israelites and, and the people of Israel. And, and it literally became like uh, an outlaw to worship God and, and to, to have your own food and, and do different things like that. They were living under the oppression of the Midianites. And during that time, the people of Israel began to cry out to God and say, God, we, we turn back to you. We want you to forgive us of our sins. Would you come and deliver us from the hand of these Midianites? And God says, all right, I'm going to do it. I'm going to deliver the people of Israel. Who am I going to choose? Who's going to be the person? Like when you have a big project, what, what's kind of the process that you go through when, when you think about, I need somebody for this job? You probably think through things like, who's going to give me the best deal, right? Skilled at it, because I don't want just anybody, you know, building or working on my house or on this project that I have. So likewise, you would think God would kind of scan all of the Israelites all of the, the people of Israel and say, who is the, the strongest, the, the wisest, the best military person that could take this small ragtag of a nation to overthrow this oppressive hand of the Midianites? And even think about that position. Is that even something you would volunteer for? To say, God, here, I, I'm willing to be that person. I know for me personally, I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't volunteer. But Gideon we find, becomes this unlikely hero to do just that for God and for the people of Israel. If you have your Bibles with you, you can turn to Judges chapter 6, or again, follow along in the version app. But we see God intersects in Gideon's life when uh, Gideon was threshing wheat, it says, in the wine press. Basically, Gideon is preparing his meal, preparing food in kind of this hidden wine press so he doesn't get found out by the Midianites because it was uh, against the law to, to be able to even prepare their own uh, food to sell. The angel of God appeared to him and said, God is with you, O mighty warrior. Right, it's kind of an interesting title that Gideon gives, or the angel gives to Gideon, because you'll see by Gideon's response, Gideon replied, with me? My master, he's kind of like, you talking to me, angel? Oh, almighty warrior, God is with me? No, 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 you see, because if God was with us, why has all this happened to us, right? You ever, 
You ever wonder like, man, why has all this stuff happened to me if, if there was a God? If God was real or if God even cared about me, why would all these things be happening to me? Gideon says, where are all the miracle wonders that our parents and, and grandparents told us about? Telling us, didn't God deliver us from Egypt? And, and Gideon gets a little saucy here with the angel. He says, the fact is, God has nothing to do with us. He has turned us over to Midian. Right? It doesn't really sound like a good resume for someone that uh, is going to be used by God to deliver the people of Israel. Because it doesn't quite seem like, Midian, uh, like Gideon has got uh, any kind of hope or, or faith in his own relationship with God, in his own abilities. And how often does the same thing happen for us where we have kind of these, these friends with stories about things that God did in their life? And they tell us, you just got to keep believing because God did this. And you just want your own story where God would just say, man, I remember when God did this in my life. But those stories always kind of just seem one person or just a couple people away. Last week, it's this idea of being in the tent, right? You're in the tent. And, and my perspective is that God is doing all these things for everybody else. But he doesn't really ever do anything for me. Despite my faithfulness, despite my acknowledgement that he exists and just wants some, throw me a bone, God, would you? But God faced him directly. And he said, go in this strength that is yours. Save Israel from Midian. Haven't I just sent you, right? And he's saying, Gideon, pull yourself together, man. But again, Gideon is kind of like, me? You still talking about me? Right, that, that doesn't describe me. How and with what could I ever save Israel, God? Would you just look at me? He says, my clan, you see Israel was broken up into different tribes and each tribe had different clans. And he says, my clan is the weakest in all of my tribe. And of my clan, I'm the runt of the litter. Like I'm the weakest of the weakest tribe. There's not a, a way in the world that this pans out with me being successful or without me being six feet under as a result of going through this. And here's the reality. When God has his subtraction process, a lot of times it forces, if you're taking notes, to either hide or to embrace our weaknesses. Like we got to get to a place and the subtraction process takes us there where we're either going to have to hide our weaknesses or we're going to embrace our weaknesses. And it, and it kind of seems counterproductive, right? Because if you, if you want to multiply if you want to see great things done, then oftentimes we think that, man, we need to hide our weaknesses. And how many, how many celebrities do we see in the news that all of a sudden we hear they're in rehab or we hear that they are being arrested because of this life that they've been living that we had no idea about? Because from the outside, we see their highlight reel on social media and all the, the pictures they take on their islands and their vacations. We see their movies and we see them walk the red carpet of all these premieres that they're doing. And we think, man, that must be the life. And what they've chosen to do is they've chosen to, to hide their weaknesses. And as a result, it allows it to grow inside of them. Right? How often if you're preparing for some kind of job interview and you're putting your resume together, you're not listing your, your weaknesses. Right? Nobody wants to hear about your weaknesses. But I'll remember it's still sometimes when I've been interviewing for different positions and sometimes they ask, right, what, what would you consider your, your biggest weakness? You ever been asked that in an interview? 
And I remember the first time I heard that, I was like thrown back, like, uh, uh you don't know, like, if you should actually say it, because then they're, you know, oh, he's got that problem, we don't want to hire him, right? Or like, if you don't say something, they're going to think that you're all pompous and you don't have any struggles, like, ah, where do you go with this question? Because we live in a culture, we live where you hide your weaknesses, and the truth is, neither one of these hiding or embracing them, it, it looks pretty. Right? Neither one of them feels great to do, but, but one of them at least is realistic to the fact that the weaknesses are there. Right? Because if we hide them, it festers and it grows, and then it turns into some kind of public failure. And that's ugly. But if you embrace your weakness and you share from your weakness, that, that can kind of feel ugly, that can kind of feel counterintuitive to you being slingshotted into the God, life that God has for you. But that is the process, the subtraction process that God needs to do in each one of our lives to go towards this exponential feature, future. We need to embrace. And in that becomes this, this fertile soil that those seeds planted in faith that God can begin to do great fruit from. I think about another Old Testament character in the, in the life of Jacob, and Jacob got to the place where he just was wrestling with God, physically wrestling with God. And as a result from that, God changed his name. God caused him to, to walk with a limp, right? To, to, to have publicly, every time anybody saw Jacob coming, he'd be walking with this limp. And it was a visual representation that, that Jacob has a weakness, but it's a weakness born out of his wrestle with God, where now his relationship with God is stronger than it's ever been. And I wonder how many of us walk in the same kind of embrace of our weakness, where when people look at us, they see, oh, here comes Jimmy walking with that limp. But it's been a limp that's formed out of this relationship with God, where God did something awesome in his life. And you walk with a limp as we embrace our weaknesses. Do you hide or do you embrace your weaknesses? Weaknesses, it's not a place to wallow, but there's a place in our weaknesses where we can meet the grace and the goodness of God in a way that only he can do and cause that what seems like a subtraction, what seems like a lessening of our, our influence over people's lives, and he takes that and he multiplies that into something great. In fact, when you hear from somebody who you know is going through an issue or going through a hard time, right, and they ask you, hey, how, how are you doing? And they're like, oh, God is good, right? All the time. All the time, God is good. You ever done that kind of exchange with someone before? And they say that to you in the midst of you know they're going through something, in the midst of you know you're going through something, and it's furiating because we just hide our weaknesses, we downplay the things that we're going through because, oh, God, we shouldn't struggle with those things. So we can't let anybody know. But the subtraction process, it forces us to either hide or embrace. And Gideon here, he doesn't realize it, but he's in the process of, of making this case to count himself out, right? He, uh, that, God, uh, you can't use me because I'm the weakest of the weakest. And in that, in his embracing of his weakness, he's actually setting himself up to be somebody that God can use to deliver them from the Midianites. The story goes on. God said to him, I'll be with you. Believe me, you'll defeat Midian as one man. 
As one man, you're going to be able to do this. Gideon, this is the plan I have for Gideon said, if you're serious about this, do me a favor. Give me a sign to back up what you're telling me. So Gideon begins to, to ask for some kind of sign from God, some kind of special message, as if talking to God or an angel in the flesh wasn't a sign enough, right? How many of us would just accept that? Some kind of audio voice that I actually heard from God, like, okay, God, I'm in. But here Gideon has that, and he's still like, all right, I'm not quite sure I can believe what you're telling me, God, angel. So I need you to give me a sign. Help me make a believer out of me. So Gideon goes and he puts a bunch, makes a bunch of bread and he makes a, uh, a sauce to go over the bread, a broth, and, and he places it on the stone and, and the angel says, okay, I want you to pour the broth all over this big mound of bread that you made. And Gideon pours it and, and the angel touches it with a staff that he's holding and the whole thing just bursts into flames and it's consumed. Talk about a sign. And God tells him, it's time, Gideon, it's time to clean house here in, the, in Israel. So Gideon gets on this mission and he's going to go through his, his community, starting with his own tribe and just clean house, tear down the, the idols, the false idols. Only Gideon's not quite confident that God's really going to take care of him. So he goes in the middle of night when no one is aware of what's happening. He takes some of his servants and everybody wakes up the next morning and, and says, what happened? Where did all of our false idols go? And the people that he brought with him, his servants, they said, it was Gideon. Gideon didn't. So they bring Gideon before the, the community and they want to kill him because of what he's done to all these false idols. Everyone's wake up in shock. How, how could this have happened? What's going on? What's, what's happened? And the servants point their fingers to Gideon and, and Gideon's busted. And here's part of the subtraction process next during the, the subtraction process, it forces us to either stand together or stand alone. And sometimes you're going to have to stand alone when you embrace your weakness. There might be people who are going to walk away from you and say, you know what, That's, that may be what God's called you to, Jimmy, but it's not, you're going to do this on your own. You're by yourself. It's kind of this upside down. You see, because what can happen is you get a group of people who are all kind of just wishy-washy, and you get comfortable. You think you're okay in your wishy-washiness. For me, I graduated from Faith Heritage down in the valley, and Faith Heritage is this Christian school. So it was very easy for me as a, as a Christian to kind of just be a Christian because everyone else there was just a Christian. So as long as we were all just kind of being laissez-faire and you know, not really passionate about our faith, it was okay, because as a group, we were doing it. So we didn't really challenge each other. We didn't really push each other to be more like Jesus, because we were all just this way. But if God's going to use us in an exponential way to, to bring about great fruit in the subtraction process that he uses, sometimes it's going to force you to stand alone. And here in the midst, they want to kill him. But his father stands up for him and says, do these, do these gods that he just tore down need any of you to fight for them? If they're really gods, then they can fight for themselves. So leave them alone. And, in, and at this point, right, if, you're, if you weren't feeling the whole being used by God thing before, you definitely kind of get this idea that in Gideon, he, that God is up to something. Because Gideon has, 
and you know his his shame in one hand and his abandonment in the other the shame of his own weaknesses being the weakest of the weak and the abandonment of all the people around him that were with him in the midst of his holding his shame and an abandonment all of a sudden in the distance there's an army of about 135,000 Midianites ready to to bring about some pain a whooping on them and then Gideon, taking on this call that God has given him, he begins to muster up an army. And he musters up an army of 32,000 of his fellow Israelites. 32,000 going up against this mighty army. The odds there are about four to one. And I don't know if you're a betting person or not a betting person, but I'm not you know, necessarily uh, too happy with those odds. So Gideon, again, not quite sure that the God who's spoken to him, the God who's caused this um, miracle to to just be consumed in front of him, says, all right, God, if you're really behind this, I'm going to need another miracle from you. I need you to do something to kind of help ease my mind that you're behind this. So he says, here's this fleece. And you maybe know this story from Sunday school or the expression, you know, laying out a fleece. This is where it comes from. Gideon says, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to lay out this fleece, and in the morning when I wake up, if the, if the fleece is wet and the ground around it is dry, then I'm going to know that you are behind us and that we're ready to go to war. So he lays it out, goes to bed. He wakes up the next morning. And what does Gideon find? He finds it just that. The, the fleece is wet and the ground around it is dry. And Gideon kind of thinks, oh, man, you know what? That would have happened naturally, even if it wasn't a miracle from God. Right, the way that uh, the, when the sun comes up, it dries the ground naturally. It's going to dry faster than the fleece. Man, uh, God, uh, excuse me, God, my bad. What I realize here is I kind of set myself up to, uh, you know, to, to win either way here. Here's what I need from you to do. If, if you're really behind us, I'm going to lay out this fleece, and, and tomorrow, a different. I need you to make the fleece dry, but the ground around it wet. So he lays out the fleece goes to bed, wakes up the next morning, and it's just that way, where the fleece is dry and the ground around it is wet. That's, you know, going against any kind of laws that physics and biology and those kind of things that they thought in. So Gideon says, all right, it's time to prepare for battle. And the subtraction process continues. He sits before God and said, all right, God, what's the strategy? And God said to Gideon, Gideon, you have too large of an army with you. He says, I can't turn Midian over to them like this, right? If I allow you to win with these somewhat decent odds, these four-to-one odds, then, then this army that you have, they're going to feel like they can take credit for it, right? Saying, man, look what we did all by ourselves. And they're going to forget about me. And, you know, I think you miscounted here, God. I think you're talking to the, you should be talking to the leader of the Midianites, right? Tell them that they need to reduce their army. Because we only have 32,000 against 135,000. And at first, what seemed like getting to being in the driver's seat and he's testing God, all of a sudden now God is testing Gideon. Right? Tell. Tell anyone, God says, tell anyone of your your army here that if they're afraid, they can just go home. If they have any doubt in their mind, if they're fearful in any way, allow them to just go home. 
And I'm thinking, man, that would be everybody. I'm not sticking around. But God, we're already the underdogs here, four to one. And after God tells them to reduce the army, some 22,000 people from their 35,000 army leave. More than half that they mustered up together leave. And you can see the subtraction process happening, being reduced. Now all of a sudden the odds are six to one. They're six to one against Gideon and his army. God's looking at it and thinking, you know what? Yeah, Gideon, this is still too many people. This is still too many people. Here's what I want you to do. Tell everyone to go down to the brook and to get a drink. All right, go get a drink. And here's the deal. The people who, who kind of get down and they, they get their face in the water and they lap it up like a dog, all right, those are the people that I want you to put on one side. And if there's, you know, cutesy people who get down and kind of cup up the water with their hands and drink it, put them in another group. And I want the people who got their faces down in the water and lap it up like a dog, those are going to be the people that's going to consist, make up your army. And so after Gideon goes through and he's separating everybody, there's 300 people, 300 people who got down with their face in the water and just was lapping it up. And God says, Gideon, there's your army. There's your army of, of 300 people. Now you're ready, Gideon. Now with your 450 to 1 odds, now you're ready. You see, because the only way that this works, the only way that this exponential mindset happens, right, where, where we're able to do great things, is if we do it in a way that only I can receive the credit for, Gideon. Because if you do this in any way based on your strength, or if they do it anywhere based on their strength, then it's going to be easy for them to walk away saying, you know what, man, we, we, we're pretty awesome. Oh, yeah, yeah, God, yeah, God was with us, but you see the way I threw that javelin, right? Like, for real. We're, we're bad. Because God's subtraction process forces us to either hide or embrace, to either stand together or stand alone, but it's going to be either to get the glory or to give the glory. We know that, that Jesus is the answer in Sunday school, right, every time. But somewhere deep down, because of our nature, we still kind of think that we're the answer. That it's somehow dependent upon us, on, on our abilities or our accolades, it's, it's in our nature to think that there's, there's something that we can do to make these things happen. And an exponential is, is not the result of any of our actions. It's actually the product of this subtraction process that God needs to do inside of us. And as we go through it, we begin to give God the glory through our life. And here's how the, the story goes on, it says that Gideon, he divided the, the 300 men into three companies, three groups, and he gave each man, I want you to catch these, because I think these are very symbolic items. He gave each man a trumpet, right? We believe very much that music is, is a part of, you see it all throughout the Bible, how God uses music, and we use music here, worshiping through music as a, as a way to respond to what God is doing, and here you see God using it as an instrument of war, he gives, give each man a trumpet. He says, give each man an, an empty jar. 
You know, I really see these empty jars really being a symbol of our lives. And he says, give them a torch in their jar. And I see this as a, a symbol of the, the Spirit being inside of us, the Holy Spirit. Even before any reference to the Holy Spirit, we're getting this picture of God's Spirit inside of us. And he said, watch me and do what I do. When I get to the edge of the camp, do exactly what I do. When I and those with me blow the trumpets, you also all around the camp blow your trumpets and shout. And I think this is really funny because Gideon's still not quite gone through the process because he says, for God and for Gideon, right? Still kind of thinking he's the man. For God and for Gideon. And God does an awesome thing. All of a sudden, everyone wakes up when they hear the the noise of the trumpets and the, the crashing of the jars, and they, they wake up and they start killing each other while these 300 men just stand on the outside watching. And I know in my life I say all too often, man, God hasn't multiplied, hasn't done anything exponential in my life, and, and therefore God must not be real, right? Therefore God's not really interested in me and, and my things, maybe with the guy up on stage or, or the guy with the really big church down south. But he's kind of not really down with New York and Syracuse. But God says, you know what, I want to multiply in your life, Jimmy. But first, I need to, to go through a subtraction process through you. I need to smash, I need you to smash some jars in your life. Your own life. And a theologian, G.K. Chesterton, he said this. He said, the Christian ideal has, has not been tried and found wanting. The, the reality is, is that it has been found difficult and left untried. Right at the first sign or hint of the subtraction process that we need to go through, ah, ah, the water's too cold and we get away. We're, we can't do it. And really, the gospel is this ultimate picture of the multiplication, this exponential through subtraction. You have Jesus born to a virgin, the, the, uh, the, probably the ultimate scandal of any kind of day. He's born in a stable instead of being in a palace. He never went much more than 30 miles beyond where he was born. He, he was enemies with religion and friends to, to all the scandalous sinners. At the end, when he's ready to, to die for his faith, his followers, they don't multiply. What do they do? They scatter. And you see the subtraction process. And you think Christianity is dead. There's nothing to it. It's not going to go anywhere. The leader's dead, the, the followers have scattered, and it's gone. It's over. But you can't subtract a, a whole lot more from that, right? But then three days later, the, the multiplication has never stopped since then. In the book of Acts, you see constantly thousands being added to their number, it says, as this exponential movement goes through and changes the world. You want God to do awesome things through you then prepare yourself to, to walk through with us this subtraction process because we need to learn to be able to embrace and not hide from our weaknesses. To realize sometimes we're going to have to stand alone as opposed to standing together with people who make things comfortable. But we're going to stand alone together here at Fort Point.
I've seen this play out in, in my own life where sometimes right, I've stood up for God and, and, and the different ministries have shrunk. And then God was able to take that and, and then cause it to, to expand into greater ministry than I ever thought of. And it'd be so easy for me to, to get up here every week after five years and think, God, why is there not just more than a handful of people here? But it's because my, my calling is not to, uh, to be exponential and lead a great ministry. My calling is to, to be faithful and help other people go through this subtraction process so that they can then be the light in their workplaces and their families. And these seats will begin to fill up on their own, but that can't be the goal. And it, it hurts because sometimes over the years there have been a lot of people that we've done life with and we've invested in and, and for whatever reason they decided to leave. In the subtraction process, I'm not going to be, you know, dishonest to you and say it's enjoyable. But I believe that as we go through this subtraction process, it's going to happen in a way through the pain that God's going to use that pain, God's going to use that weakness that you're experiencing in a way that it's going to do something exponential where then only God can take the credit for it. Even you, in your best of intentions ways, won't be able to take any kind of credit for it because the process that God brought you through to get there, brought us through as a church to get there. Only God can do that. So Jimmy, I say... I have this conversation, right? We're, we're going to work on your character, God tells me. We're going to work on your character. Jimmy, it's, it's still a little too easy for you to, to get the credit for the things that I want to do. And here we are five years later, you know, maybe a plus or minus a few more people than we were then. But I've never been more excited with the position that God has us in because I know the process that he's been bringing us through. So I stand up here looking, I'm looking for 300. Right, 300 people who will do like Gideon's army and take their lives and just smash it down for the sake of the exponential things that God wants to do. To just stand there with their trumpets and we're going to sing and we're going to worship and we're going to respond and praise. But to also deal with and hold up high this torch, the name of God high. And here's what Paul said to the Corinthians. He said, if you only look at us, right, you might well miss the brightness, right? If you just were to look at us walking down the street, the fact is we probably aren't much to look at. We carry, though, these precious message around in the unadorned clay pots of our ordinary lives. You see, I wonder if Paul just got done reading Gideon when he referenced these pots, right? Recognizing, and he uses it as an example. He said, these pots are like our ordinary lives. And he says that's to prevent anyone from confusing God's incompare or God's exponential power with us. As it is, there's not much chance of that, right? Again, you just look at us, there's not much chance that God, that anybody would, would get us confused with being the big of a deal. He says, you know for yourselves that we're not much to look at. We've been surrounded and battered by troubles. I really want you to to, to see if these words resonate with the life that you find yourself in this morning. Battered by troubles. But we're not demoralized. 
We're, we're not sure what to do, but we know that God knows what to do. We've been spiritually terrorized. Anybody ever felt spiritually terrorized? But God hasn't left our side. We've been thrown down. Anybody ever felt thrown down? But we haven't broken. What they did to Jesus, they do to us. Trial and torture, mockery and murder. What, what Jesus did among them, he does in us now. He lives, and our lives are at constant risk for Jesus' sake, which makes Jesus' life all the more evident in us. And while we're going through the worst, while you're going through the subtraction process, God is setting you up here. You're getting in on the best. So, church, we're not giving up. How could we? Even though on the outside it often looks like things are falling apart. On the inside, where God is making new life, not a day goes by without the unfolding grace. And I wonder if we just got up every morning and said that to ourselves how much more the rest of the day we would look through the lens of each day going by without his unfolding grace. Because these hard times, church, are small potatoes compared to the coming good times. This subtraction process is nothing compared to the exponential future that awaits. The lavish celebration prepared for us, there's, there's far more here than meets the eye, church. And the things that we see now are here today and gone tomorrow, but the things that we can't see now will last forever. Will last forever. Will you pray with me this morning? God, we are so grateful. Grateful that we can get together, that we can be here, and, and somewhere in the midst of that, of, of even maybe us being here was a form of us trying to, to hide our weaknesses and, and, and make it seem like we still kind of have a, a, a grip on our life. But this morning, God, maybe you would do a work inside of us where we could come face to face with the realities that we feel like we're beat up. We feel like we're, we're terrorized. We feel like, man, if we lose one more relationship, if we lose one more person, I'm not quite sure how much more of this I can take. I'm not, if I have to go through another day of, of feeling this way, God, I thought that following you was going to make my life better. God, that somehow this morning you would do a work inside of us that in the midst of what feels like hell here on earth, make yourself known to us. That our minds could, could be like that, that blown up emoji where how is it that it's possible that more and more gets taken away from our lives, more and more gets done to us, and yet you take it and you do awesome exponential things through it. So God, this morning you're calling and seeking your 300. You're seeking for yourself some, some people who are willing to look at the 451 odds, 450 to 1 odds, and say, I want to be a part of that. God, I'm going to take my life, I'm going to take my jar, I'm just going to smash it down and, and give it 
completely so there's nothing remains that's of me but it's all of you so God we pray that this morning you would help us you would stir up inside of us the same righteous indignation that that refuses to just play cutesy anymore and kind of cup the water with our hands but we would get our faces in the water and we would just lap it up like our life depended on it God, would you take us and you do something? Do something as we embrace our weaknesses, as we stand alone, God, that you would do something that only you are able to get the credit for. Because we want you to do it. We don't want to do it on our own. We need you to do it. Church, as we continue on this morning, we're going to blow our trumpets like they did and we're gonna we're gonna do some battle here together through through music so i would encourage you if there's something that you're going through we're gonna have people available to, to pray if there's some things that that you've been hiding some weaknesses that you just want uh, to to bring as part of this process of smashing your your jar on the ground so that you can hold high the the torch of god Use this time, respond, do something that, that maybe you've never done before. If you want different results than what you've always gotten, then you're going to have to step out and do something that you've never done before. So maybe you need to come forward and maybe you need to worship and give something at the altar. I don't know what it is for you. This is between you and God, but God wants to do something in your response this morning.